Good morning, Pelham First Baptist Church. What a joy to be here. You don't really need me. We could say amen and go home. Thanks to these guys. Brett, thank you. Praise team. Give these guys a hand. How about this morning? What a blessing. It is so good to be here today from the University of Mobile. Davin, thank you for letting us come. I spoke at a Wednesday night here a couple of years ago when I was very impressed. Did a youth night across the street. And then this morning, what a spirit you've got here at this church. If you're a visitor today, two things. First, I apologize that he's not speaking. But second, this is a great place for you to connect. If you've not got a church home, I would recommend this place highly. I never take time in the pulpit to do a commercial for the University of Mobile. But Victoria will. She's out in the lobby there when you get through. She's got some brochures, information about our university. Folks, I believe there's not been a time in our history where what we do is more important. We need Christian higher education. Please see Victoria today, if you can, on the way out. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go old school today. If you've got your Bible with your device or a good memory, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. In one of the songs, there was a line that said, God can turn dry bones into armies. That is our topic today. This is an uplifting message. We'll see something strange today. We'll look at 10 verses. The first 10 verses of Ezekiel chapter 37. Verse 1 will start as desperate as things can ever be. But by the time we get to verse 10, you'll see as big a victory as God can bring. It's a great transformation in just 10 verses. Some context here as you find Ezekiel. The nation of Israel, they're in bad, bad shape. They're in captivity. Their towns have been destroyed. Many folks have been killed. Just desolation, desperation. It's a very hopeless situation. God takes Ezekiel in a vision to see his plan for Israel's restoration. These first two verses, I think, might be the most disturbing scene in the entire Old Testament. Look at verse 1. This is just kind of the background, the first two verses. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me, look at this, in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Verse 2, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. What a troubling and disturbing scene. What does this mean? We're not left to guess. If you go one verse past our text today, look at verse 11 of chapter 37. It says, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. It tells us here's what this symbolizes. Now, notice a few things in the first two verses. I am not a theologian, I'm a historian, but I believe in Scripture. I don't believe God ever wastes words in Holy Scripture. For example, in the first verse, we're told that Ezekiel, he's not on the mountaintop looking down toward these bones. He's not flying over. It says, he set me in the middle of a valley. As you know, life is filled with valleys. If Davin ever preaches to you that come to Christ, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and wise, run for the doors, because that's not scriptural. We're told we will experience 
valleys. Look at those words. I was in the middle of the valley. What does the psalmist say? I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But what it says, thou art with me. The Israelites, the Hebrew children, were in the fiery furnace, but the Son of God was in the furnace with them. We're not told we won't see valleys. Notice it says in that verse also, look at uh, the way it's written here. He set me, it says, on the floor of the valley. I think that means something. When we were a kid, we would say things like it's lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. The floor of the valley is as low as it can get. Even the bones, they're not just dry in verse 2. It says they're very dry. This is a hopeless situation. During life, if you've not seen it yet, hang on. You will find situations that at first glance seem hopeless. In a church this size, I believe some folks might be there now. If that is you today, this is a message for you. In Ezekiel chapter 33, back a few chapters, the people face a similar situation. And they ask a very deep question. In Ezekiel 33:10, they ask this question, how then can we live? With things so bad, how then can we live? I have kind of rephrased that. My topic today is, how do we stand up when everything is falling down? Think about the last year. Think about pandemics. Think about politics, about culture, about the economy. Many have said it's a hopeless situation. You hear folks say things like, will we ever get back to normal? Whatever that is, get back to normal. Folks feel hopeless. So how do we stand up when things are falling down? If you take notes or mark in your Bible, here are three principles that I think can encourage us today. And what Brett just said is so true. My words mean nothing. We're looking at God's word today to speak to us through these 10 verses with these three principles. How do we stand? Number one, write this down. We stand in faith. This is the foundational key. We stand in faith. Look at verse 3 in Ezekiel 37. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? That's an odd question. Here's a valley full of dried bones. He asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? What is he saying? In my mind, the question is, Ezekiel, do you think I can fix this hopeless situation? Can God today defeat a pandemic? Can God heal our politics? Can God heal a relationship? Can God heal your finances? It may seem impossible. Those dry bones seemed impossible. The question is, can these bones live? Do you think I can fix this? Now, be careful here. What is the obvious answer to that question? I don't mean what is the Sunday morning we're in church answer. What is the obvious answer to dry bones? Can they live? The obvious answer is no. Why do I say that? I'm not a medical person. However, I do know this. If you are gasping for breath, I might, 
And I say might. I might can do CPR and revive you. If you're bleeding profusely, I might can do a tourniquet and stop the bleeding. If you've turned into dry, dusty bones, it's not your day. This is not good. The healing boat has sailed. So the obvious answer is no. But look at how Ezekiel responds. Look at the second part of verse 3. I said, sovereign. Stop right there. If you mark things in your Bible, mark that word sovereign. We'll see that word today three times, once in every point. I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. That's a great answer. Does Ezekiel say, sure, I understand this? No. He says, sovereign Lord. To me, this looks hopeless. But you as sovereign, you know what you can do. That's a great answer. We don't like it, especially men. Be honest, men. We don't like it when we don't have all the answers. That's just our nature. All men know this. If you put together a child's swing set, step one is what? Toss away the instructions. They get in the way, right? Ladies, if we're on vacation, a man would rather die than ask for what? Directions, thank you. Why is that? If we ask for instructions or directions, we've got to admit that we're not in charge. If God is sovereign, then we can't be. Ezekiel's answer is very good. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. While we don't like to admit we don't have the answers, do you think God is offended when we come to God and say, God, I don't know how to work this out? Or God, this looks impossible. This looks hopeless. I don't have the answers. Does that offend God? No. Because that shows faith. Here is that first key step. Faith is no doubt, if we're going to stand when things are falling, then faith must be the first step. But we've got to go beyond that. What do I mean? Illustration. There was a guy out west. This guy was a daredevil. He was a tightrope walker. He goes to a town with a very deep canyon outside of the town and puts out flyers saying, this Friday night, I'm going to walk a tightrope across this very deep canyon. Well, that draws a pretty good crowd. The people show up. He wants to hype the crowd, so he gets a megaphone, and he says, how many people believe I can walk across this tightrope? Well, a polite applause, no big deal. He's kind of let down, so he tries more. He says, okay, how many think I can walk across this tightrope blindfolded. Well, now more applause, but he's, he's still not there. So he keeps going. How many folks believe I can walk across this canyon, uh, across this tightrope, blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow? Well, it's getting better. More applause. He's almost got him. Here's his trump card. He says, okay, how many think I can walk this tightrope blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow, with somebody in the wheelbarrow. Well, now they stand and cheer. He's got it. It's a standing ovation. So he motions for quiet and says, okay, who will get in the wheelbarrow? And what happened? It got very, very quiet. 
What if we say to God, I've got faith, you can do this. But what if God then says, okay, I need you to be that agent for change. I need you on that mission trip. I need you doing this, teaching that, serving here. Here's where faith goes to step two. So we stand in faith. Number two, we stand in obedience. Look at verse four. He said to me, prophesy. This, by the way, gets strange very quickly. He said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. My reaction would be, say what? The question, first of all, was strange enough. Can these bones live? But now he says, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Preach to these bones. Ezekiel should not be too surprised. Back in chapter 6, God had told him to prophesy to the mountains. In chapter 20, he had said, prophesy to the forest. But this one gets stranger and stranger. Prophesy to this field of dry, dusty bones. Now, did this request make sense? You've got to say, not really. It looks like a waste of time. In life, does everything make sense? I saw a website a couple of weeks ago. It was a list of 100 things that don't make sense. I was intrigued, read the website. I wrote down two or three. Here's an example. Does this make sense? Why does lemonade have imitation flavoring, but furniture polish contains real lemon juice? Think about that. Does that make sense? No. If man evolved from monkeys and apes, why do we still have monkeys and apes? Does that make sense? No. My favorite, why is it if someone tells you there are one billion stars in the universe, you'll believe it, but if there's a wet paint sign on the wall, you'll go touch it, right? Does that make sense? No. In Scripture, does God's plan always make sense? No. God told Joshua to take this city, don't attack it. Just march around it a few times, blow the horns, the city is yours. If you're a military guy, that does not make sense. The prophet told Naaman to cure that leprosy, go wash in this muddy river. If you're a medical guy, that doesn't make sense. God told Abraham, sacrifice your only son, the son that I gave you as the covenant promise. Now go sacrifice that son. Did that make sense? No. At this point, it is very easy not to obey. Obedience is tough. My daughter, Lauren, who's now 33 years old, when she was about six, she had one of those big old rubber kickballs in the house one day. She's in the house, bouncing the kickball off the floor, the wall, the ceiling. The entire house is shaking. My wife, who has much patience to a certain point, told my daughter, Lauren, we live on a hill. If you bounce that ball one more time, I'll open the door, throw the ball down the hill. You'll never see that ball again. That's very serious. 
Lauren takes the ball and goes to her room. She's very quiet. So we're thinking, great, she's on her knees repenting to be a better daughter, right? Not true. That same day, we find the ball. She had taken a white sticker, put on the ball and written, if found, please return to Lauren Burnett. (laughs) Because she knew I cannot obey that, right? It is tough to obey. But look at verse 5. And here's that word again for the second time. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I'll make breath enter you and you will come to life. Verse 6, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Mark this line, then you'll know that I am the Lord. God revealed his plan to Ezekiel. But this plan will take obedience. Ezekiel must still prophesy to those bones. Don't miss this part. In verse 6, God explains why it is that we sometimes go through valleys. In a valley that seems so hopeless, there's no way out. When God fixes that, we can only say that was the power of God. This verse says, then you'll know that I am the Lord. In that valley, has God abandoned us? No, God's in the valley. We sang a while ago, the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley. Don't forget that. This is so big. If we don't go through the valley, do we know that God was there with us the entire time? I've thought about Luke chapter 8 many times. In Luke chapter 8, there are parallel accounts of healings. Remember Jairus came to Jesus and said, my daughter's dying, could you come to my house? Jesus said, sure. They start walking that long road to his house. In route, the crowds got bigger and bigger. We're told a woman with a blood issue, by touching his garment in faith, she's healed. But in the meantime, the friends of Jairus come back and say, slow down, your daughter is already dead. How tragic. I've often thought, how come right then? Why didn't Jesus just speak the word and say, Jairus, your daughter's healed? Could have done that. But what did he do? He made Jairus keep on walking. Talk about a valley. He walked through that valley to his house. But when he gets there, what did he see? He saw the power of God raise his daughter back to life. Had he not been in that valley, would have never seen that. That verse is big in verse 6. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Now, the second part, I'm sorry, the first part of verse 7, here's kind of point two. I prophesied, what? As I was commanded. We stand in faith, but we stand in obedience. Now, think of this. While he's prophesying to those dried bones, do you believe he understood exactly what he was doing? Did he believe this will work? I don't know. But he prophesied as I was commanded. Notice this. 
Not understanding is not an excuse for not obeying. Again, not understanding is not an excuse for not obeying. I think back to my childhood on those rare days when I misbehaved. My mother might say, Lonnie, do this. I would come back with, why? My mother never once at that point got books on child rearing out to explain to me the mother-son relationship. All mothers use the same handbook, right? When she said, do this, I said, why? She would come back with what? Because I said so. At that point, the case was closed. Did it matter if I said, mother, I don't understand this? Did it matter? No. She would say, do you understand this switch in my hand, right? At that point, the case is closed. Not understanding is no excuse for not obeying. So look how these first two go together. We stand in faith. We stand in obedience. These two must go together. We're told that faith without works, without obedience, is dead. But reverse that. Obedience without faith What's the motive? These two things must go together. Now, here's the big part. If we can do this, if we can stand in faith and stand in obedience on the authority of God's word, number three, we can stand in victory. Look at the second part of verse seven. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. Can you imagine this scene? Ezekiel prophesying to dry, dusty, dead bones. Very dry. Does he understand? No. Is he obeying? Yes. All of a sudden, he's thinking, maybe, what am I doing? But he hears a creak, a crack, a bone snap. The exact sound I make each morning getting up. I know these sounds. He looks around, there's a motion. It says in verse 7, there was a noise. Folks, I could be wrong about this. But I believe the last year in this country, there's a noise. Do not be discouraged. God can use this valley of the last year to bring about the greatest revival the nation's ever seen. In the valley is where folks turn to God. Church, don't be discouraged. Don't ask, where's God in the valley? God is there. God is in the valley saying, watch what I can do. Watch how I can make my power known. The bones came together in verse 8. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Kind of a crescendo here in verse 9. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, and say to it, this is what the third time sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into the slain that they may live. The song said, you can turn dry bones into armies. Here we go. You don't often use the words slain and live in the same sentence because one negates the other correct only God can bring hope to the hopeless only God 
can bring life to the slain. Only God can bring victory to the defeated. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Verse 10, I prophesied as he, what? Commanded me. There's that obedience again. And breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. The King James calls this an exceeding great army. Now, an amazing thing has happened. God has brought victory to a hopeless situation. Don't miss this. I believe this is not just done for show. And pro I know it's not in prophecy, but think about this. I believe this army stood with a purpose. Why do I say that? In those days, armies were raised for specific causes. There's a battle, an enemy, a threat. You raise an army for a purpose. What purpose could this army be raised for? I challenged my school back in August with this very text. And I said, folks, let's raise up as an army in a time that looks hopeless, let's raise up as an army. And I said, we can stand for three things. I would challenge the church with these same three. Number one, you stand for the purpose of calling. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Do you realize in America today, there's over 5,000 higher education institutions. We're one of 5,000 in Mobile, Alabama. What makes us unique? We've got a unique calling. We are called to be a Christ-centered university. In this room today, you're a gathering of people, but so is the Rotary Club. But your calling is different. Church, again, in the valley, there's no better time for us to exercise that calling that God has put on us. Number two, not just calling, we stand for the purpose of caring. In 1 John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if what you love one another. It's not your degrees, it's not your wealth, your status. You're known as disciples if we love one another. There's a community that needs caring for. There's a nation, there's a world that needs care during this time. What better group than the church? Number three, we stand for calling, we stand for caring. Number three, we stand for curing, as in healing. 1 John 3, 18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. There's a world and a nation that needs healing. There are wounds that go back many years, many decades. This is a time for healing, for curing. Let me conclude. My prayer today is simple. My prayer for my university, for this church, my prayer is this, that a vast army breathed on by God's Spirit, would stand in faith, in obedience, and then see that victory. And they would stand for a purpose, that purpose for the calling, for the caring, 
and for the curing. If we do this, if we can pull this off based on God's word, not my words, based on God's word, if we can pull this off, I can promise he will use us to minister to a world that's filled with people who have lost hope. We can bring that hopeless world back to life with God's power, just like Ezekiel saw today with these bones. The valley is a place we don't want to be. But don't be discouraged in the valley. Look around for God's power and God's spirit while in that valley. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this group. Lord, they've listened so attentively. Lord, I thank you for this church, for its ministry, for Davin, for his family. I thank you today. This is a place where your word can be spoken. Would you today move in this closing time? With your head still bowed and eyes closed, two questions. Two questions. Number one, would you today, with eyes closed, just say that I'm in a valley. It may not be huge. It is to you. I'm in a valley that I just want Davin to pray for me in a closing prayer. I need to see God in this valley. I need God's power to show me how to stand when things look like they're falling down. If that's you today in this room, would you just lift a hand so Davin can pray in a few minutes? I see several hands. I see, a, you're like folks in Mobile. All over this room, there's hands. Thank you. Second question, you cannot stand in faith until you take that first step of faith. If today you're here and say, today's the day, I want to step out in faith and make that first step toward Christ. And again, I would like Davin to pray for me. Would you lift a hand? Thank you. Davin, would you close us, please? Oh, Sovereign Lord, we thank you for bringing us to this house today to hear this word from this preacher. Lord, there were several who indicated that they believed themselves to be in a, in a valley, maybe even in the middle of the valley, perhaps even on the floor in the middle of the valley. And they need for you to do what only you can do. Can their life be put back together again? Oh, sovereign Lord, only you know. Can things be reconstructed in a proper way? Oh, sovereign Lord, only you know. So if we find ourselves in this valley today, Lord, we look up to you, for you are all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You are all-abling. And you can do a mighty work. And so we trust you. For those of us who need more faith, Lord, help us today. Help us to trust you regardless of the outcome. For those of us who need more obedience today, help us to stand in that obedience. We don't have to understand it. We just have to obey. And Father, will you please give your church victory? Victory in our own personal lives, victory 
over every stronghold, victory in our homes, at work, at school, victory in the culture, victory as we share the gospel with our one. Lord, we do need to stand up when everything else is falling down. And Lord, today, help us as we look to you. So Lord, we give you this invitation. Lord, we pray that as you speak, we will respond in faith, in obedience, and in victory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.